You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. It's Digital Boys with the Digital Boys with the Z, of course. This is this is actually the 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 opening for Digital Noise. Like this, it's the Digital one. Noise with the Digital Boys. Mm-hmm. We're gonna watch some movies. Right, we'll be bored sometimes. Sure, <laughs> I could do it like uh, you know, Aruga, like radio. Yeah, let's do it like while. radio. Like, hey, hey, we're here with the hey. Digital Noise guys. What's going on? Right, it's the Gator and the Cooter. <laughs> We are going to get down on some movies today. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, we'll never do that again. There was an episode of uh, on a podcast I used to be on where I got, I still have it. It's in my closet. A uh, soundboard for just goofy sounds. Oh, it, like, no. It was like a push button. And they look like like video old school arcade game buttons. Like Why don't you buttons. have that? We should bring that back. I still have it. I still have bring it. Bring it next you just, time. Like, hook up. And you can put whatever sounds you want on it. So I hooked up all these. You put whatever sound samples, but you just like press the big giant video game buttons on it. And uh, I overused it. And people were like, that was the worst episode of the show ever. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> oh, we're bringing it back. Because every episode I'm on is a 50-50. And oh, I'm willing yeah. <laughs> to roll those dice. <laughs> we're not doing that on digital notes. Oh, I promise you. man. You can do it on, on Trash in the Can, which is a podcast you also have on one of us. That right? is true. That is very true. Yes. Because that's right, Sue. Like, hello, right? Hello, Chris. <laughs> I, I am Chris. It's true. <laughs> and we're going to talk about a stack of movies here that uh, go from pretty goddamn awesome to question mark. And we're I, not going to. I don't have any question marks about them. I know exactly what to say about those. We're not going to agree on everything. Uh-huh. There's some stuff I already know. I'm going to be like, well, right, you're wrong, but that's okay. You're uh, young. You're just not old enough to appreciate it. I know. Uh, yeah. Wait, the, the joke is like, I'm going back down. So now it was, you're 162 earlier this week. And now uh, let's just say you're 155. I get it. I'm oh my young. God, am I aging backwards? You're aging backwards. So you're Benjamin Bunning in uh, it. But, uh, but, but, Benjamin Bun- Bunning in it. <laughs> As long as I'm compared with Brad Pitt, I'm okay. <laughs> and Look, let's not go that far, okay? I, I realize that that seemed really absurd. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I mean, he he's a handsome man, and you're a man, and... Uh, yeah, we share half of We're like 50-50 the same. Yeah, 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 totally. He's a handsome man, I'm a man. You're so we're handsome. like, I'm 50% identical. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to review a bunch of home releases, and we're going to start out with one of the big ones, one of the ones I was very excited to get. Mm. And I'm sorry to all you guys out there who are like, the Beatles are overrated. First off, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. The Beatles are not overrated. It's fine that you don't like the Beatles. That's fine. You know what? I'm going to go on a limb. No, it's not fine. Really? Yeah, fuck them. 
Okay, that's so, a little farther than hey, I'm going to go. Look, here's the thing. I swing for defenses on this show, and I've said some things in the past that I don't regret. And I've told, you know, fuck you nerds, and <laughs> also fuck you people who don't think the Beatles are one of the top three bands of all time. Rock bands. Like, you got Led Zeppelin, you got Beatles, and you got Jethro Tull, okay? Jethro and, Tull? Yes. Wait, what? Yeah, they won heavy metal music album of the year. Against Metallica. The, yeah, the first ever. That's why they fucking rock. Oh, my God. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not associated with this person any longer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being so mad when that happened. Anyway, we're not going to go off on that tangent. I was actually quite delighted. Which I like Jethro Tull. I like Jethro Tull, too, but please, come on. <laughs> I mean, I thought that album was fucking Fire. I mean, I was with you on oh, like Beatles and Led Zeppelin, but come on. And, and that flute. Ooh. I, I, Ooh. I, in my head somewhere, I was like, he's going to say Pink Floyd next. Uh, no, actually, what I believe, I, I really do believe that Led Zeppelin and Beatles are like neck and neck as the best band of all time. Mm. Right below that, kind of love the Rolling Stones. And uh, I love the Stones. But Pink Floyd, I also believe, that is one of the greatest rock bands. I just didn't grow up with them. There's a lot of, like, ultimately coming down to, look, man, it is just about taste. It's just about what appeals to you. And that's going to change as you age. And I'm not saying you might like this stuff more as you get older. You might not. You might never appeal to you. And that is fine, too. And you know I what? don't care whether or not you like it. I, I care I about you people who are saying it's overrated. That's the dumbest fucking cut, like thing you could possibly they say. They are accurately rated. <laughs> they that- are accurately. They were groundbreaking. They changed the history of music. Yes, they incorporated stuff from things that had happened before. So does every single major musician who has ever existed. Except for anybody Jethro Tull. <laughs> anybody you've ever heard of that's a big name? stole from other people in the sense that they were influenced by those things. And that's true of every art form. So, mm-hmm. oh my God, relax. Anyway, because we're digital noise and not a music show, we're going to move on to what we're actually talking about here that relates to the Beatles, which is the film A Hard Day's Night, which was the 1964 musical comedy film directed by Richard Lester that was the first film the Beatles starred in. That would be, in case you didn't know, for some of you people out there, like the Beatles, who are they? Uh, <laughs> John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, that let and it Ringo be guys. Star. Okay. And they were the biggest band in the world. There is literally no argument against that. There's no argument against that. I, they changed. They were the band that did a thing that hadn't happened since the days of classical music when art, like artists would do stuff like that would like have because it changed the dialogue so much that people would yeah. rise up and riot. Like that scene in Amadeus when all the young girls and the guys are just like running down the street trying to like chase after him. And, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, this is just like Amadeus. This is crazy. Well, I mean, to be fair, he really was kind of looked at as a rock star. Yeah, yeah, level. yeah. And like the Beatles were a thing that scared the fuck out of a lot of people because they were that huge. And there had been a history, especially in Britain, of the rock and roll film. We'll get into different types of rock and roll films right after this in Britain. But they were like, I don't want to just do one of those. Mm -mm. There was a lot of like, hey, it's a rock and roll film, but the main band in it is just kind of in it every once in a while. I mean, like a good example of that, like in a tribute to that would be that Ramones film, Rock and Roll High School. Yes. Yeah. They're not really the stars of it. Right, right. Like they're the like big like icon, but they're just kind of they show up every once in a while and play a song, but they don't really play characters in it. Right. The Beatles were said hold held out and said, I don't want to do that. 
We do not want to like, do that. I want to be in this all the time. Nobody was doing that with yeah. bands. They were like, and, and they turned down offer after offer after offer to be in a movie. And it wasn't till this and where they were like, okay, this is an opportunity to where they are literally the whole entire stars of this film. There's yeah. no, there's no other characters, no like, like a cute young couple of actors who like the films following them. No, it's about yeah. the Beatles. It was like, we're going to go see the Beatles later. It's got me righteous. It's got me great. This is insanely fun. It changed the history of rock movies forever. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. like you could just say alone based on this movie, the Beatles influence was not overrated. <laughs> and, and probably showed like a lot of other, uh, like filmmakers and also other rock stars are like, Oh shit, I guess I could do something like that. Can it, in a way might've ushered in a lot of, um, musicians who turned to become actors later on too. Cause they're great. Like they're funny as fuck in yeah. this movie. And, and it's very scripted, weirdly. Yeah. You wouldn't think so. And it, it feels improvised. Like, they are so natural in this movie. Because, one, they, they are being themselves, but they're also already very clever anyway. And uh, just, like, watching, again, like, watching uh, Let It Be, was, that's the name of the documentary thing, right? Uh, the, the documentary thing is Get Back. Get Back, whatever the hell fun is. Um, one of their songs. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. It's great. It's fantastic. Uh, but they, you know, they're already that quippy and clever, even behind the scenes when they're not like on camera or just like on camera and they're just like talking and like, God damn, they're all so lovable. They're, they're all very intense people when you see you get back but with this. It's like, they're just, and they're kids. Well, they're just, they're not just starting out here, but they are just starting out in the, the, that high tier of being the biggest band in the entire world, which how it opens is like the most iconic thing in any, I guess any rock movie, but just like, everyone chasing them down like and also them just just kind of delighted they did for real they were like not even that's not even set up oh really like they just they were like hey it's the beatles look and then they were like film it watch people chase them (laughs) and see i it's kind of hard to comprehend in these days where like no one really does that because everyone's like oh shit i'm gonna hurt someone right Uh, and watching that i'm like so what i'm starting to think about like what is the end game of the people chasing them do they just want to like be there and touch Get them there and they stop and they go like um i didn't prepare it this far <laughs> what are strawberry fields <laughs> <laughs> and they just have very like insightful questions yeah. for them like we have all these questions it's, like, it's more like i i'm 16 and i don't know what a blowjob is but i'm told to offer one <laughs> it feels like it's on the, it's either a very good thing or a very bad thing of whatever they're going to do if they ever catch up with the Beatles. That's but, what it feels and like. And they're adorably young here. They're just so also oh cute. My gosh. Uh, in fact, George Harrison met his wife on the set of this film. Oh, like she was cast on this film and they met here and they hit it off and they ended up getting married not that long afterwards. And wow. they stayed married for a very long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, it's funny. One of the things that the studio, who, you know, didn't know what to do with the Beatles. <laughs> so I don't know how to approach these guys because they were in their own ways. They were kind of punk rock that they were breaking all the rules. They were like, we're not interested in establishment. I mean, which even is even what the story like, about too. one of the most successful bands in the world, which is why they had that ability to do that. Yeah. So it was a different version of that. They're like, no, we're not going to play by your rules. I'm sorry. And the establishment had to bend over to them and go like, okay, fine. What do you want to do? Yeah. And they were like, well, we actually saw this writer on TV. We really like, 
And they're like, we don't use TV writers. In those days, TV and film, never the Twain Chill no, mix. No, 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 no. They got this guy, Alan Davies uh, Owen, who was known for his television writing, but still, it was like, this guy was never going to write a movie. He got nominated for an Academy Award for, for Best Original Screenplay for this. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Because that's the thing. It feels all like they're improving it. They're not. Yeah. I mean, there are sequences where they go, let's play with this and have fun. But like yeah. overall, it's very scripted. You know, this is a re-release by Cri- Criterion, who released this previously on Blu-ray, like I think like six years ago. Uh, but this is a 4K re-release of Ooh, it. Ooh, that 4K. In a gorgeous fucking set. It is it's nice, beautiful. And it, it looks great. Like, watching it on 4K on my new PS5, um, it... <laughs> It's, you gotta throw that in there. I huh? gotta throw that in there. Also, watch it. Listen to Trash in the Can. Um, it's it's gorgeous. It's fuck and like the booklet in here is fucking great. I mean, yeah, it looks fun. It, it's just a really fun movie. The guy uh, uh, Richard uh, Vernon who plays Paul's uh, uncle or grandfather, grandfather, yeah, who's just like, why is he there? And like, oh, he's my grandfather. He's just along for the ride. He's my grandfather. <laughs> He's he, he's like don't trust him. He's a mixer. He's he's a riot in this, and he was an experienced actor. He's kind of the one guy in here who's like, oh yeah, he's. An, Doesn't he's he a play Mister? Um, uh, I was going to say Cobblepot, uh, Mister Blah 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 in Willy Wonka. He's like the guy um, that is giving. He's like always behind the scenes. Isn't that the same actor? I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the wrong guy. Richard Vernon is the guy riding on the train who's a total dickhead. Uh, the guy, there's this moment they're like why are you being such a dick <laughs> yeah they they dropped that dick bomb in there uh yeah, like, no, oh wow wilfred Brambell is the guy i'm thinking of uh who was starting the bbc long-running sitcom the steptoe and son did he was he in Willy Wonka? uh i don't know if he was in really i swear Wonka. to god he was like the he was the mr oh, fuck uh the, the guy who He's not. Oh, I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't see him on that list. Oh, well. Yeah. Anyway. Insightful. The uh, <laughs> thing is, this is, there's not much plot. It's just them, you know, being, going to, like, it's actually just the playing. exact same plot as Get Back. They're just, they're just getting ready for a show, but they're just going all over the place. Well, I wouldn't say that. It's I mean, the like exact a, same plot. Peter Jackson basically <laughs> said, hey, let's just do Hard Day's Night. We're not reviewing Get Back. Otherwise, <laughs> I have a billion things I want to say right now, but we're not reviewing Get Back. Oh, really? Because I love Get Back, and I could talk about it at length. But yeah, I'm not let's talk about to. that. No, we're talking about the, oh. the Criterion version of The Beatles, okay. Hard Day's Night. No, there's some other things I would much rather talk about Get Back. Get Back is really good. I love Get Back. Oh. But no, this is like a goofy, they're going like, oh, you, you have a gig, you have a thing, we're going to the next thing, there's girls pursuing you, there's other people, and there's a lot of little side bits where they're like, oh, I wandered into a thing, and so now- Like I get Ringo to just taking pictures by himself, just like wandering around for a while? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that was added like after they finished filming, we're like, oh, this isn't balanced. Like there's a th- sequence of George Harrison where he wanders into a fashion studio and is like they oh, think he's gonna, he's a model that was added kind of after the fact. They're like, oh, we need more George in this, so they kind of wrote a bit for him to do it. It's yeah, really funny. Yeah, um, this is genuinely great. I, I I've watched it before. I've watched it several different times, and Criterion's edition of it comes with. You know, once again, it's in 4K. It looks terrific. It's black and white, but it looks, it's a fantastic 4K mix. Oh, yeah. The audio mixing is much better than it has ever been before. There is 
a shit ton of extra features on here. Uh, you can't do that. The Making of a Hard Day's Night is a 1994 documentary, uh, which co- commemorated the film's 30th anniversary, which, you know, is dated, but still is well worth watching. Mm-hmm. And, uh, has a number of notable people when they're talking about like, oh, the Beatles. I mean, it's, it's basically hosted by, uh, what's his name from Genesis? Uh, Peter Gabriel. No, the other guy. Peter Gabriel. The drummer. The drummer. Oh, Peter Gabriel. God, he was not the drummer. He was not the drummer. No, what's his name? Peter Gabriel. Why are you, why are you doing this to me right <laughs> wait, now? Wait, I thought Peter Gabriel was a drummer. <laughs> wait, wait, isn't he not the drummer? No, he was not the drummer. It was the guy who took over the band uh, Genesis after Peter Gabriel left. Uh, Peter Gabriel was only on like the first like couple uh, like Genesis albums, and then it was taken over by the guy who was much better known for I, being the lead of Genesis. I don't know who Peter Gabriel is. Oh my god. <laughs> It's like he's just looking at Wikipedia on his phone. I'm actually just looking at the back of the Hard Day's Night Criterion. Like, is Peter Gabriel on this? Or Uh, there's in their own voices, which is a edit of 1964 interviews about that they gave about a Hard Day's Night, which is really really fun. Things they said today is another retrospective uh, from 2002, which includes George Martin, their manager, looking back on it. There's also uh, the uh, Richard Lester, the director, who also. Directed the original cut of Superman 2 and did Superman 3. I saw that. I was looking at his career. I was like, oh, he's actually kind of interesting. And I wonder, wait, so he, but he took over after Richard Donner left or something? Or? No, I believe it was the other way around. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, but I'm okay. not sure. I can't remember. I wish I cared. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love Superman 2. Both versions are fine. But he did Superman 3, which is not as good. But he he's done a lot of really, the funny a funny thing happened the way on the forum. With Zero Mustel, who I know yep, love. I How love. I Won the War, which starred John Lennon in it. Yep. Yeah. The Three Musketeers. <laughs> Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Uh, Robin and Marion. Have you ever seen that with Sean Connery playing an older Robin Hood? No. What? You never seen Robin and Marion? It's so good. No, I was busy uh, looking up who Phil Collins was. No, it was him and uh, Audrey Hepburn as Lady Marion. What? As like an older, as an older, like after everything else happened. Who was this made? Uh, 1976. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Lester was a big deal, is all I'm saying. Big deal. Anyway, uh, so there are two, uh, of his shorts in here, one of which was nominated for Oscars, which are, I had a hard time getting through, but there's more in here as well. A lot of older stuff that, that, uh, made it on here in a thick fucking booklet that it comes is, inside yeah. the slip, slip case. The pre- yeah, great. the presentation of it is really, really cool. It's yeah. it's one of those old like cardboard uh, box sets from Criterion. We're like, oh, I miss these because when you, those come out, you're like, oh, you spent some fucking time because they could just do a normal like you know clamshell or like a you know plastic case kind of thing. Sure, but with this, it's like you're fucking, you know, you're gonna put a lot of money in this. <laughs> it's gonna be real good. Where next film continues on with the British rock and roll movie tradition, which is Espresso Bongo. Mm. Uh, I had never heard of this before, but when I saw it on the, the offer list, I was like, wait a minute. This was made by Val Guest, who is better known for his work with Hammer. He directed the Quatermass Experiment in 1955, which is a deeply influential sci-fi horror film. I know, uh, Wright's looking at me like, I don't know. My eyebrows is. just went way above my forehead. Uh <laughs> I have never heard of that. Uh, and he did the uh, 1958 British comedy Up the Creek, which was quite prop, pop, uh, popular as well as its, its sequel, Further Up the Queek. Queek? Queek? Queek. It's a queek. <laughs> queek rock. 
<laughs> and the day the earth caught fire, which we've actually reviewed on the show, which is really good. Yeah. Um, uh, he was a big name in, in Britain, but it was kind of <laughs> rare for him to do this sort of thing. And this was a satire of the music industry. It is great. Okay. I didn't like it as much as you did, but I thought it was really interesting. And it's weird that there were so many films at this point that had already come out that were just exactly the type of movies that the Beatles were making fun of yeah. or didn't want to do right. with Hard Day's Night. With like, we don't want to be those guys who are making those movies where we're like, we're like, the, the, you know, we're the, the person on the poster, but we're not really a, the character in the film that the film's about. Right. And this is one of those where yeah. here it's really about, Cliff Richard, who I know I only knew about at all because of the show The Young Ones, the British comedy show, because one of the characters on there was fucking obsessed with Cliff Richard. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, like, would constantly joke about it. I was like, who the fuck is Cliff Richard? We're from America. We don't know who Cliff Richard is. But in England, he was gi- he was gigantic. Was he really? Because, I mean, he has a great voice. Yeah. No, he was huge in England. Oh, wow. Like a massive star. And then he turned on this whole, like... I don't approve of what other rock and roll stars are doing, and I'm really into Christianity and, like, oh. and staying virginal and oh, stuff. Oh, it kind of yeah. does that it, in it this movie. Does that in this movie? Oh, that's interesting. And, and like he kind of got people were like, "Yeah, you, you're not interesting because you're not edgy." It's like, listen, Bongo. Yeah, exactly. Which sounds very derogatory now, <laughs> but they are a pretty good band. His band, Cliff Richard in the Shadows, appears their second screen appearance. Uh, the first was a much darker film called Serious Charge. Mm-hmm. This is being released by Kino here, but the real star is Lawrence Harvey, uh, who uh, plays sleazy hustler Johnny Jackson, who's just Johnny Jackson. That's yeah. what his name was. Who, I was trying to like Johnny something. He's looking for talent. He's Man. trying to find people to to do. He's got a stripper girlfriend, Maisie. He's like. I got to make things work here. Uh, and he discovers a teenage singer named Burt Rudge, which is Cliff Richard in a coffee shop. And he's like, we're, one of those things where you're like, it's a coffee shop. And the guy's like, give me that guitar. And gets up on stage. Hey, little baby, I'm walking roll all night. And the whole crowd goes, wow. No, 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 no. Continue yeah. with that singing, please. What? Continue with that singing. I'm not going to do that. Oh, man. Nobody God. wants that for you. I, that was one thing I, I was thinking of when I was watching the film. I was like, who's really into that much in espressos like this is, i know this well is, i mean come on well sure like i love espresso like any other day and which i'm very glad that it finally uh spells uh espresso the correct way and uh and so um one for the money two for the show three for espresso i gotta go is that a weird owl uh but uh i i was um I was I was very smitten by Johnny Jackson because at first I thought this was going to be just a, a, a light jaunt, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, he's kind of an asshole, like yeah. really kind of a bad guy. I and mean, the thing is, like, he's probably much less a bad guy than your average actual music agent out there. Yeah, yeah, you know. But in the context of this film, you're just like, he's the main character, which is weird. <laughs> it, it felt really ahead of its time with like the subject matter and like even some of the things that they were shooting. Where like there's a, the stripper club uh, scene <clears throat> where I was like, oh, those are titties. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, this is 1959. And, it's uh, British films. They were different. Yeah. Different take was, on it. It was very different. And I, I was, I was clutching my pearls and yeah, I was like, oh my gosh. So funny the way, like, you watch films in the same period as American films where, like, no, that never would have happened. No. Like, everything covered up in British films. They're just like, here's them boobies. I was, <laughs> I was shocked and delighted and, <laughs> and then comforted. Uh, but I, I, I thought it was, um, it, it really, 
in the end, interesting. I the, one of the criticisms I have of the film is that it took a minute to get into a musical mm. because it. I I didn't know it was a musical until uh wasn't you know uh, Bongo uh I, for, I forget the guy's name Cliff Richards. Cliff Richards. Um, he he sings and uh you know it's over a track or whatever and I was like okay and so he's just a singer and that's what this guy's gonna do is just like take advantage of him and make him a big star blah blah. There's a lot of stuff. There's twelve songs in this. Movie. There's there, yeah and so but it's not like until and the movie is almost like two hours long. Yeah. Um, but it's not until like the thirty minute mark where. All of a sudden, uh, Johnny Jackson is talking to this other like big time producer, and uh, like, what did you think? It's like I've got nausea, and like <laughs> goes into it like, wait, oh, this is a musical. Yeah, I was not prepared for that. I believe it actually even became a stage musical at some point. I think it's actually based on a stage musical. Or is it based on? A stage yeah, musical? it's based okay. on the. Li- yeah, it's based on a stage musical, and uh, and then yes, you're right. Yeah, I, I, I then I was hooked. And I was like, oh, cause I like musicals. And I, I was like, well, Expresso, where were you before? Like, why weren't you doing this shit a little bit before? This is one of those films that, like, if you're an American who's never lived in England, no one can blame you for never have heard of this. I've never heard oh, of this. Oh, I had never heard of this. Like yeah. I said, I'd never even heard of Cliff Richard until The Young Ones. Uh, but it was a huge hit. It won a bunch of awards. It was a big deal in England when it came out. It just later got supplanted by stuff like what the Beatles were doing, which ended up one of those things where like once the Beatles made a hard day's night, everybody wanted to do that. Yeah. But before that, this was sort of a culmination and even a satire, like I said, of previous musicals that were rock musicals that were a lot like this. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I've never seen the take. Um, it feels very the producers ish where, uh, it was this main character who was taking advantage of a naive person in the, well, in this case, the music industry. I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, well, that's interesting. I, what I think is really cool about it is that it was taking this, it was having this hot take, but in 1959, it's like, yeah. wow, that, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, people got screwed over like constantly all the time. I assume. And but, still are. And still are. Yeah. Uh, God bless them. The music industry um, is But the, the fact that it was done so it's early. It's good thing you stopped playing the trombone. Oh, man. I could, I could have been the number one trombonist in the like world. the Nirvana trombonist. <laughs> Like that was all they were missing in that band was the trombonist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> off mic, I was uh, talking about how I played the trombone for a number of years, and I really did love it. It was a, uh, it's probably the greatest instrument, uh, no matter what everyone says. Um, all these uh, trombones look, are playing. Look, out of the low brass instruments, song. it's better than the tubas. Wah, 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 it's wah, better. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, it's better than euphoniums, okay? It's better than tubas. Fuck the saxophones, trumpets. All right, we're moving on. We're moving on from your weird music background. It's a weird music background. Ask Wright sometime about his musical background. It's like a whole story. It's a whole oh, thing. It's a whole He's thing. He's traumatized. Like I, seriously. I seriously am. It's like it was like watching a Coen Brothers movie, listening to him talk about it. Really? Yeah, I could hear the whole like sort of Coen Brothers like soundtrack in the background. Like you know what I mean? There like, was a couple of guys that said dun, "fuck dun, you" dun. like constantly. Yeah. It was like John Polito was all up in my face. <laughs> anyway, uh, I bring you just that- geared up from Miller's Crossing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm bringing this up because our next film is called Gambit from 1966, which is nice segue. not involved in at all, except that in 2012, there was a remake made that was written by Joel and Ethan Cohen. 
That was not, no one saw. What I saw. I, I didn't see it. I, I didn't see it either, but I saw a great retrospective on why that movie sucks and why the Coen brothers are great at what they do. And it really depends on how you shoot their script. And mm. there's doing the side by sides of really like, uh, similar scenes from their version of Gambit and just another scene from, I don't know, a fucking, uh, Big Lebowski or whatever. Yeah. And like, it was the timing of the editing. And the way that the Coen brothers do it, there's a, so much more, uh, comedy in like the, the way that people are, uh, holding on lines and like how the camera sits with someone. Whereas the gambit was like back and forth and too cutty to where like you're not even taking into what they just said and how funny that is. And the why, like even in No Country for Old Men, when like, uh, Anton Chigurh walks into the trailer with the old woman like I was like sorry sir I can't help you <laughs> and just like the expression just like holding it there st- like take it in but more modern films are like we gotta go to the next shot quick yep. and uh, so they're just like they explain it that way where this though the original Gambit was a delight can you imagine if they had directed and chosen to take control over their remake of it I can't because- and I honestly think it would still be bad Really? Yeah, because I, I mean, saw Lady Killers and I was not impressed. All right, so their comedy output put uh, about the halfway mark of their career is a mixed bag. Yeah, yeah. No question. Like, I mean, like, I don't think they made a movie that's outright terrible uh, ever, but like, you know, their weakest points have been comedy. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, but also some of their strongest points, but still. Uh, this one, the 1966 original starred Shirley MacLaine. God, I love her, man. She's so awesome. Like, She's so Ever since good. I saw The Apartment, I was like, that's Shirley MacLaine? She's amazing. And Weezer, and, over here. And my cocaine. My, my cocaine. I have lots of cocaine. Sorry. It's good. <laughs> it's my cocaine. It's my cocaine. It's mine. <laughs> I... This is absolutely charming. Kino Lorber put this out where uh, Michael Caine plays a cockney cat burglar, Harry Tristan Dean. That's the most... Cock- How do you know his name? Well, shut up. That's and, a callback to the film. Yes, it is. But you have to watch the movie to get it. Uh, he and his friend, played by John Abbott, Emil, are looking for a certain type of girl. And they find them in Nicole Chang, played by Shirley MacLaine, who's a stripper in a Hong Kong restaurant. She's supposed to be Eurasian. Okay, come and, on. And, you long know, time av- after your eyes roll out of your skull, yeah. then you realize, oh, it's a 1960, what again? 66 yeah, movie? Exactly. And Relax. so you're like, got it. Relax. If we did that now, you could shout as loud as you want. And we'd all be like, yes, we agree with you. But, like, come on. Cameron Diaz played yeah. a Euro-Asian. Uh, yeah, exactly. Wait, <laughs> what? Uh, have you seen her porn film? It's excellent. No. Uh, sorry, we'll talk about that off mic. <laughs> uh, so, Herbert Lom, who was, like, the... Uh, Fucked up boss in the Pink Panther movies. Uh, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His eye was twitching all the time. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He plays an Arab, which is very uncomfortable in the first half of this film. It's okay. If you can get past the Shirley MacLaine Euro Asian thing, you can get past this. (laughs) So he's got full on like the, 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 the makeup and stuff for it where you're like, but he doesn't do an accent. He's with the world's richest man. And it turns out his wife died young and he's just never moved on. And, this girl that Shirley McLean is bears an uncanny resemblance. So this burglar decides I'm ready to go to the next level and I'm going to rip this guy off by making him like introduce him to this girl and present him as my wife. And this will 
distract him enough that I can get in and steal a bunch of shit from him. Yeah. And what's really delightful about this film is it starts off with them going, well, here's how it's going to work. And you feel like you're just in the movie then. And you're like, oh, here's what's happening. And there's like 20, 30 minutes of just like, we're just watching the movie happen in the heist where Shirley MacLaine utters literally not one word. May I ask you, is this your first time ever seeing this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you think that that's, I I was actually getting kind of angry was like, when is Shirley MacLaine going to fucking say something? This is cool, but it's so weird that Shirley MacLaine's not saying anything. Even at this point, she was known for being this comedy person. I I thought something was going to happen like really big. Slick and stylish, but also like over exaggerated exaggerating the you know by modern day standards and probably to some extent then mm-hmm. uh, kind of offensive stereotypes and like oh, this, and this perfectly staged heist and then you realize this is just him still telling her the story like the pitch and then they go and do it and she just can't shut up and she's like no i'm not gonna do that i'm gonna do this other thing and she's like delightful and funny and, and everything goes wrong everything goes wrong that can go wrong and it's just really charming as fuck this is a great little hidden gem of a movie oh yeah really 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 good movie it was so much fun watching uh uh, michael kane being kind of an idiot (laughs) or like he not not necessarily an idiot but he's uh he's so confident that this is going to work because he's already pitched this one we've already seen it (laughs) which is again a really great way of storytelling how this could have gone because we're still remembering like, okay, so this is the moment when he's supposed to do this and now it's completely different. Yeah. And then even him, he's confused. So it's always keeping the audience second guessing of what could happen next. It's brilliant the way that it presents all of that. It's really cool. And I don't think you're going to have a hard time figuring out where it's going plot wise ultimately. Yeah. Once you get past that initial sequence where you're like, oh, now we jump to what's actually happening. But it's not really about that. That's not important. The, pl- the the plot itself is not important. It's really no. the chemistry between these people and the romantic chemistry between uh, Michael Caine and uh, Shirley MacLaine, which yeah. is weird because at some point you're just like, that guy's just straight up a villain. She could, she should go with the guy who's the rich guy because he's much nicer. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's a thing in like older movies yeah. though, like that. We're just like, it's well, like he's not actually a villain. He's actually seems like a straight up kind of okay guy for a rich dude, right? And but the they always end up signing with like the main characters because of plot, and yeah. uh, and so it's that's the one thing that I am always kind of like. Oh, come on. Like, really? We're, we're doing that? Cause how long have you been, no, how long have you known him? He's like, for what, two weeks? And also, right. uh, he's been a dick this entire time. They have the chemistry rate, but the script doesn't nail it. Yeah, that's the, yeah. the only thing yeah. that uh, that holds it back in it almost and being a perfect one of those, movie. Well, I can see why the Coen brothers wanted to remake it. It's one of those films like, this is not perfect, but there's so much about it that's awesome that you're like, yeah, this is a movie ripe for a great remake if you could make that part of it work. And you know what's crazy is that now thinking back at the remake is that having Cameron Diaz and Colin Firth as those two characters, it's kind of genius casting. Mm. It's just that, again, the director probably didn't know how to like, it was probably even intimidated, like, oh my God, I'm doing a Coen Brothers script? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Because that doesn't really happen. What could go wrong? I could just literally not even film the thing. Yeah, like Sam Raimi did it. Like, (laughs) okay, well, Well, he did. Raimi and brothers work together oh, extensively on multiple that's projects. what he's probably telling himself like oh wait i'm not sam didn't Raimi co-write co-write fargo 
Uh, Raimi did, yeah, a little bit on Fargo, and uh, but also like they did Hudsucker, Hudsucker, Hudsucker Proxy, Proxy. Yeah. and I think they also did some silent writing on A Simple Plan. Yeah, and then, uh, uh, oh my God, what is it? Um, Crime Wave. Crime Wave, yes, yeah. which the Coen Brothers wrote for Raimi. Right. Yeah. Anyway, we won't go into Raimi again. I know we've been talking about, about Raimi a lot today. Uh, there's two commentaries here. One is an archival commentary with the director uh, talking a lot about what it was like to work with the two stars here, and one is a new commentary commentary with uh three different critics talking about it and there's a reversible cover with vintage post art oh i saw that that was really yeah. cool yeah but this is really solid man if you've never seen gambit one way or the other you should watch it we're gonna move into another kino film here that i i was like i didn't even know this existed man and i was i the moment it was like okay first off it stars burt reynolds who i always am gonna have a weak spot for i grew up i'm I, i'm a child sure, of the 80s i grew sure. up watching burt reynolds films but it's written by john sales who like that right there i was like wait like not every john sales film is fantastic but he did so many fantastic films he did. and a lot of his best films are little hidden gems they are like alligator Okay, well. I love Alligator. I'm sorry. Okay, well, Come on, have you ever seen Alligator? Yes, I've seen Alligator. Alligator's great. But Lone Star or yeah, yeah, Matawan, yeah, is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Matawan's fantastic. Criterion puts that out. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Um, it was, so this is not one of the films that was like one of his big breakout films, so to speak. It's called Breaking In. Got it? It's 1989. Wait, wait. I don't get it. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Burt Reynolds plays a uh, 61-year-old professional safecracker uh, living in uh, originally from New York, but now he's in Portland, Oregon. He's kind of taking smaller gigs, but that's his thing. He's like, you know, I got a gig, I got a style. I don't take the big outrageous deals. I just take smaller gigs yeah. to, to like get by and live the life I want to. Yeah. Uh, he accidentally. Run, meets this kid Mike played by Casey Ciamasco who you don't think you know but you do because he was the lead in the film Three O'Clock High which was kind of an 80s classic see he's in other things too and like the entire time I was watching this I was like, like why, I know where he was why in, do I fucking know him Stand By Me and Back to the Future okay I know he was in uh, Back to the Future who was he in Stand By Me uh, that is a good question was he, was he John Cusack Billy Tessio no, John Cusack was John Cusack. Okay. But I mean, he was in a bunch of stuff. He was in Back to the Future Part Two. He was in A Mice and Men. Uh, he was in Black Scorpion. He was in The Phantom. Uh, he was in Public Enemies. He was Ooh. in Gardens of Stone. He was in a bunch of stuff. He's one of those guys, you're like, he was in enough stuff you'd recognize him. But I've seen, uh, uh, Hit, like uh, 12 o'clock high so many times that I'm just like a three o'clock high so many times. I've never like, seen that. It's great. It's a, one of those little hidden gems of like eighties high school movies, like like guy going, I'm going to beat you up in the parking lot at three o'clock. Be ready. And he's doing everything he can to get out of it. It's That's what the movie is. Yeah. Oh, wow. like the whole movie is him just trying every strategy he can to get out of getting his ass beat by the bully at three o'clock in the high school. Wait, they got it at high school at three o'clock. Yeah. Didn't you? No. Oh, Fucking assholes. I got it like a 4.15, like an hour later. Anyway, this film, (laughs) he meets him literally accidentally because the kid is breaking into somebody's house at the same time Burt Reynolds is breaking into somebody's house. But the kid is there just kind of fuck around and grab whatever he can find. He's just, he he does it for like the thrill of it. He steals maybe some cash if he sees it around, but he just like kind of fucks around, eats food and just like does stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, And but Reynolds is like, look, we're both broke into this house, so let's both agree that we're just going to back go away from each other ways. and yeah, go separate yeah. ways and do our own thing. But then Bert's like, look, this kid like has the 
you know, he's, the chutzpah. He's got the chutzpah. He's got the thing. He's got the jeunesse. I, I see the spark in him. So he gets back in touch with him. He's like, look, do you want to fucking like, uh, you know, work under me? Do you want to be like, let me train you to do this for real and be good at uh, how to be a thief, a professional gentleman, basically a gentleman thief. Right. You right. Know, not like of the guy who like, you know, not like a Steven Soderbergh, Ocean's Eleven sense. Right. But, you know, the well, guy who's like, I'm, we'll never kill or hurt anyone ever. We just we know how to get in and get out. No one ever catches us. This is basic. I had a, actually a really wonderful time with this movie. It's terrific. It is fantastic. Yeah. And if if you like Michael Mann's Thief, but you don't want to feel like hating yourself by the end of it because you're just like, fuck, I forgot Michael Mann's really rough sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is like Michael Mann light. Yeah. Where, no, that's that. That's a good way of describing it. Yeah. Yeah. At least thief light. And it's actually kind of great. Like this matchup, I, I did not really grow up with Burt Reynolds, uh, because he was already dead. Um, and see, <laughs> I have never seen Cannibal Run. Cannonball. I, I, I haven't it's seen so, it. All right. It's worth watching just for the I've never even seen Smokey and the Bandit. Oh, oh my God. All I've seen are films that he's in for Trash the Can. <laughs> I love both those films so much. And I'm literally tearing up. And striptease. Uh, mm. and so, this was actually quite a delight to see him yeah. play in like an elder statesman kind of character. Yeah. And I believe he was even playing older. He was definitely playing older than he actually was. Yeah. Cause I was like, wait a minute. This was done like the, what the eighties or ninety or uh, 1989. He was not 61. Yeah. I was like, he's not that old. Yeah. Um, but he really gives it his all too, which is yeah. really great. Cause you know, something like this, you could probably just think that he's going to just, you know, fart his way through this and not give a shit. <laughs> but he really gave a shit about this. Or at least it seemed like it. And the guy who plays Mike, uh, Casey Sima, whatever, um, from Young Guns, uh, he, he's really good too. And I just love their chemistry. I thought it was really cool to have this father son approach to being high end ish, uh, cat burglars. And uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I, yeah. I had a fun time. This is directed by Scottish director and writer uh, uh, William Forsyth, uh, known for probably best for Local Hero, which we've covered on Digital Noise, and Gregory's Girl. Uh, terrific director who does very character-heavy based pieces. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, things where you're like, oh, this feels like this could have come more of a plot, been more of a plot-directed genre thing, but ultimately he's just interested in the people involved in these mm -hmm. situations. And this is no exception. This is about these two people and their relationship, and it's delightful. Mm -hmm. It really is. You easily could have gone a different direction here that probably also would have been good. Mm -hmm. There are points I'm like, a modern Hollywood take on this, or literally anybody else directing this, this would have it at the halfway point gone a different way, you know, because they've already gone done so much character development by the halfway point that you're already like, I love both these characters. I'll watch them do anything. Yeah. But this is just a character piece. I was thinking about that, uh, halfway through where I'm surprised this hasn't been remade because it's such a, an easy, low key property that they could have just, they can get George Clooney and oh, I would kill to see like him work with some young, some young actor. Yeah. Uh, oh God, um, who would you pick? Oh man, Andrew I, Garfield. No, he's too old now. No, he's uh, not. He's, he's like in his early thirties. Well, I think he's like in the, yeah early mid thirties now. Yeah. But like this but guy he was looks like looks like he's like like twenty five. Yeah, but he was he's this guy was like early twenties, like right. someone that's brand spanking new still. Sure, sure. But like with George Clooney, it was like that would be fucking perfect and have steven soderbergh do it 
Yeah. It'd be great. This is one of those like, oh, this is begging for a remake because A, nobody saw this. And yeah. I don't think any amount of pushing is going to make this into a new classic. To, you know, it's really good and you should watch it. But, you know, major audiences aren't going to grab on it unless some big director like Soderbergh was like, I see a way to making this like a really amazing new And it's version. easy. Yeah. Like I, we we implore all yeah. – <laughs> because we know Steven Soderbergh is a huge fan of digital noise. Yeah, uh, he's constantly sending me messages. He's we tell like, him, shut the fuck he's up. He's always like, what are you doing? Where are you going tonight? What's going on? You want to talk about this? What do you think about the – Write you, your you list th- of films that you, you saw about this Eternals? year. What was that? Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, there's only one extra feature here other than the trailer, which is a commentary, which is brand new for this Kino edition, oh. which was uh, recorded by Bill Forsyth the director by john sales the screenwriter god i love john sales he's so good and uh filmmaker and critic daniel uh kramer uh so it is a brand new thing here with this but i honestly i don't even know if there was a previous like edition on blue i, I have no idea was. like but this, this is the was first a time. brand new discovery for me i'd never even heard of it i i one of my most treasured parts of any time i check my emails when i get a thing from kino lorber saying here's the new list of stuff we have uh-huh. it's always a big list and there's always going to be stuff that's just hidden gems. Like yeah. Gambit breaking in. Right. Where I'm just like, wow, I'm never, I didn't know about either one of these films. And yeah. I, and you're always, you never know. Cause the thing is the history of Hollywood is just like endless production of stuff. And a lot of it is garbage. And sometimes no matter how many big stars are in it, it's still not worth watching. Right. You know, most but, of it's but garbage. But sometimes there's stuff that's like, wow, this, was a film that just never got the credit it deserved and just got forgotten about over time. And Kino Lorber is the people who put out that kind of stuff. Yeah. You're like, Ooh, they, they sift through the shit that, uh, that no one wants to see. And like, oh, we found gold pup. I was like, but criteria already got it. Like, Oh God damn it. <laughs> well, speaking of them, although technically they're, uh, the, the company they work with Scorpion releasing, we have the Mafu cage. Okay. Well, yeah. Which yeah. I really, really enjoy quite a you bit. really enjoyed it i really enjoyed this who are you i know i'm a monster this makes no sense i, I this feel, is crazy i feel like to give you a feeling of what this film is that you have to name the two other titles this was released by which is my sister my love deviation which is the most awkward title ever that's the one that's a title that's a title yeah my my my, my, my sister my love deviation yeah. Which and, is kind of inspired in a yeah. way, because I'm like, wow, you really tried to like fucking do something pretty crazy. And the other one is don't ring the doorbell. I fucking hate this movie. Uh no, and all and then what they landed on was eh, how about the Mafu Cage? Yeah, which is the weird like really which is, out of the three, the th- worst title. <laughs> well, I don't know. My sister, my love deviation is pretty bad. I don't know. That sounds like a Lars uh, von Trier title, and like, it yeah, do- it does. But this is 1978 when this came out, so and you know, it's not good. I <laughs> don't know that I agree with you. This stars um, uh, Carol Kane. You know, you probably know her best as uh, as Grandma in Adam's Family Values. No, as Andy Kaufman's uh, significant other in Taxi. <laughs> At least I do. That's where I was. I don't know. You're 152. I forget. Dude, she's been in a shit ton of great stuff. She's got an Academy I, Award nominations. For Mafuke? No, she was in a movie called... Uh, not for this one. No, she was in a 75 film called Hester Street that I have never actually seen oh. as well. But you know what? Actually, I would argue most people know her from The Princess Bride. 
because she was Billy oh, Crystal's that's wife right, that's the, right, right, the Princess yeah, yeah, yeah. Bride. Okay. I think most people my age know her from Adam's Family Values. For me, it was, she was the wife of Laka and Andy. Well, uh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, apparently, on uh, in on stage, she plays Madame Morrible on Wicked on multiple different productions, touring mm. productions of that. Uh, and then recently, she's been on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt playing Lily. Oh yeah, she's Kushdaw great. I forgot about that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's a kind of a comedy legend, really. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to pl- see her playing in this film. This deeply disturbed person. This is a horror film, but not like by any standards that horror films go by. That's kind of what I liked about this so much that it was like, what is this? I kept asking myself that the entire time. And you know what? I got it. I get what it is. It's just that I think that it was, it was very boring and a little overwrought. And I, I, in a way, I didn't care about any of the other characters except for Carol, Carol Kane. Yeah. And I. You don't really care about her so much as you're worried about what she's going to do next. That's the thing. I wish it was. I, I, All I, right. Let me, let me tell the plot. Oh, try. Right, so, uh, <laughs> Lee, multiple Oscar nominated Lee Grant, but it's probably best known for her uh, lead role in Valley of the Dolls, not beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Very different movie. Very, very different. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she is an astronomer, a professional a scientist, lives in L.A. She lives in a big, beautiful, crazy house with her sister, uh, Sissy, played by Carol Kane. Um, and it's, are they sisters? Yeah. I know incest comes into this. Well, no, 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 no. Okay, but I could not tell what their relationship was. They were I, sisters. They're I sisters. thought like she was like her stepmother no, or something. It was sisters. Yeah. Okay. All right. So they inherited their home for their father, who was a very, very successful anthropologist, which I didn't even know there was such a thing. I was like, was he Indiana Jones? What? He was uh, crocodile uh, hunter. Mainly in Africa. They grew up in Africa. Sissy, Carol Kane, grew up like just stunted. She like can't get past gro- her age uh, growing up in Africa and all the things she took from that, all mm-hmm. the ritualism and tribalism and all that, which I guess you could say on some extent is kind of racist, but you know. Uh, there is at least a part when it does. Uh, yeah. Uh, but she's like... Like obsessed with her pet monkeys she has a little cage and the, her monkey is called mafu or i would say her monkeys are called mafu because she has this tendency of getting frustrated with her monkeys and brutally murdering them only with chains whipping them with chains or killing well, them that's with- the only one we see but you know who knows yeah. how she did the others you know? which like i <laughs> i was I was not prepared for that. I didn't know what I was getting myself into with this movie. Cause I think you told me that, oh, she gets a brown f- or red face or brown face. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm called red face. Yeah. I mean, it's it was literally more, red clay. It's red so. clay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever. I but, mean, it's like she's not, I, I think that only counts it like calling it an offensive thing. If she's literally trying an actor who is playing someone who's supposed to be of that race and here she is a crazy person yeah which i I didn't find i honestly did not find it offensive yeah Uh, no i don't think it is yeah i I thought it was like you're seeing this person slow well slowly losing her mind after years and years of like arrested development and not knowing how to move on from their father dying and then also brutally murdering murdering her best friends and animals that she's keeping in a cage. Yeah. And then she gets in there and 
that's what's it. The, I don't, I don't think that the movie is a horror movie in a way. I mean, I guess you could call it that, but it's more of an, just a really, truly unsettling and yeah. uncomfortable film. Deeply uncomfortable and unsettling. Yeah. No question about that whatsoever. Man. It's, it's very upsetting. Carol Kane gives a hell of a performance here. She does. She oh, does. Oh. I'll give her that. It's just, but the thing is, that's what sucked is that I wish. The rest of it was boring. Uh, you know, it was originally a play. It was? It was, yes. Was it still called The Bafu Cage? I, I don't know that, actually. Jesus Christ. Yeah. What did they just, what did, what did, what did they show? <laughs> this movie is bonkers because the, the, so like. I mean, like, <sighs> a d- female director, believe it or not, Karen Arthur. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who, who only directed three uh, feature films. Uh, Lady, Lady Beware was one of the other big ones mm. in 1987, uh, with, uh, Diane Lane and Michael Woods, but, She's done a lot of television work since then mm. and has won an Emmy for an episode of Cagney and Lacey. Oh, wow. If you will. That episode of Cagney and Lacey was called The Mafu Cage. It's called The Mafu Cage. It was. It was a lot of monkey around. <laughs> monkey around. around. Like, I, don't, I don't know. This is disturbing, but you've never seen anything like it. And I think that's why I like it. I'm like, I've yeah. never seen a movie like this. Sure. And it's the, she, there's clearly an incestuous relationship under the table between these two sisters that is like, you feel like is there for the whole movie, but isn't overtly put into a thing until well, late in the movie. And even then you're like, I'm not sure what I just saw. There's a, there's a lot of disturbing stuff here that definitely that's why I'm like, I have no trouble believing it was a play. Yeah. yeah. There's so much stuff that feels like it's subtext that maybe the movie didn't know how to explore properly. To Possibly. Get it. I guess I, you know what I was wanting? You know, I, I just thought of this. I, I wanted more Foxcatcher where <laughs> you have two. I hated Foxcatcher. You hated Foxcatcher? Terrible movie. Oh my God. You're out of here. Goddamn. Mind. It's awful. It's so good. Um, I want, but I wanted a character, another character to not necessarily match Carol Kane's performance or her like psychosis, but someone who was losing it as much as she was. Now, granted, you could argue that Lee Grant was almost getting there at some points, but I just thought the rest of them were just. She's breaking down because she didn't know how to deal with taking care of her, being her sister's keeper. Right, right. And, but that's weird because there is that incestuous element and you're like, I feel like they're going to cross it over to where the sister is also crazy in her own way. Right. Because she feels like there's a point in the film. It feels like she's encouraging it while it's like, what are you doing? And yeah. you're still like, why are you putting it? Why are you letting her keep doing this stuff? It feels like it's going to turn on and do a big reveal about the sister. And it never really does. It never really does. Like yeah. there, there needed to be some kind of, uh, guilt in some way, like just a little bit more overt guilt of why Lee Grant's character is kind of going along with all with this, mm-hmm. except for like, our dad died and I don't know what to do with my sister. And, uh, and so you're just like, well, just fucking send her away or something. Like it's the seventies. That people did that shit all the time. Huh. And, uh, she's killing monkeys with chains. And here's the thing. They're not monkeys. They're like orangutans. And, uh, oh, I love orangutans. I know I do too, but she's like fucking like, 
wailing on that one uh, orangutan. They're just like, it was really fucked up. And orangutans are fucking big. So speaking of that, the, with this release, there's uh, two commentaries. <laughs> one with the director, one with the cinematographer. Oh, yeah, the and DVD. The editor. <laughs> but there's an interview with Carol Kane that goes on for 20 minutes, which is, you know, a little scattered. I've always found Carol Kane as a person seems like she's... Like maybe a lot like the character she plays. She's like not all little Mafu, little Mafu, uh, little caged. (laughs) And, but she talks about it a lot. Like, Oh, I love this. I loved working with this, the orangutan, but it was really hard. And they go into detail about it. And like, she actually got bit by it at one point. Yeah. She's fucking, I mean, okay. There, there are moments in this film where like, okay. I don't know if there that was like monkey was not happy. Regardless of how you end, no, it. like it did not seem like there was a wrangler on set because there's a there's a few times when they she's swear like swear that she, the monkeys were not hurt at all. Well, maybe she didn't hurt them, but she was just like it, it, like a lot of it with her and the monkeys were like it felt improvised. Yeah, because there she was just like because the monkey was like get the fuck off me, and she's like eat your fucking food. I mean, anything with the monkey is improvised to some extent because sure. it's a fucking monkey. It right, doesn't have the script. It's and, just like it doesn't know. It doesn't go yes and <laughs> <laughs> banana. Uh, <laughs> Uh, banana, <laughs> banana. Uh, That's but it's it is very uncomfortable, and which adds to the uncomfortableness when you just like I don't know if this monkey is just gonna like fucking slap her, <laughs> like because the way that she's acting towards it and what yeah. she's doing to it sometimes, because it is there's not there's never like a, a puppet monkey. It's like she she it looks like yeah. they're just like. Whipping it's, it or all It's this. a really good interview with her about it, though, that I didn't, I didn't watch it. mainly into that aspect of the film. I, I ejected it as soon as I watched it. I really enjoyed watching this film in the way You that, enjoyed it? Yeah. It's so disturbing and different. There's nothing else like it. It's just like, this is an oddball film that isn't anywhere near perfect, but nothing else is like it. I'm like, this is fascinating. I would agree. How did this happen? And I wanted to know more about it. There's also a 44 minute interview with the director. There's a 16 minute interview with uh, Lee Grant, who plays her sister here. There is a interview with the composer an interview with the editor here, as well as a still gallery. It's jam packed. Yeah. It's a, you know, it is a cult film. By the very definition of what we used to call a cult film back in the day, sure. which is a movie that legions of people haven't latched onto to the point that it's hard to call a cult film anymore. You know, like, yeah. can we really even call Rocky Horror Picture Show a cult film anymore? Everyone in the world has seen it. Is right. it a cult film anymore? No, <laughs> it's just not a mediocre one. I mean, the songs are great. The songs are good. The songs are really great. They're really great. I do not like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, this is a discussion for a different time. No, let's discuss it now. This is a, this is a, a, a fisticuffs at dawn. I I am swinging for the fences on this episode. <laughs> if you've listened to the show for a while, you know how much I love. Uh, Giallo film director Dario Argento, one of the legends of Italian film cinema, certainly, and not the only. Giallo director will be talking about <laughs> in the show. Uh, 
<laughs> he has done one of uh, one of my favorite films of all time is Suspiria. Like I love it so much. I've seen it in the theater three times. When it came out in 4K originally, I, met, I remember a friend of mine, the one of the Summers Brothers, one of the uh, Deliberations of Doom's guy, oh, yeah. guys, was like, I'm paying for you to go see this in 4K in the theater with me. And it was amazing. Where did you see it? At uh, the Austin Film Society Theater here Ooh. in town. And it was like amazing. I bet. Like just that great goblin booming soundtrack. It was yep. just like, oh my God, it was so incredible. The the first time I saw it in the theater was at the old Alamo Draft House on Lavaca. Mm. And it burned up halfway through what do you mean oh the the film it did that thing where it melts yeah it's like what then again everyone was smoking it was the first time where i i was a pretty heavy smoker back then and uh i was like wait you can smoke in the theater light them up boys (laughs) and um i was in hog heaven and then the movie burned up like that's what we get (laughs) so (laughs) i I I I don't know if I like him that much, but I I appreciate him. I mean, I think Suspiria is a flat out masterpiece of horror cinema, like one of the best horror films, if not the best horror film. Which I'm going to go there, right? I'll say maybe the best horror film ever made. Suspiria, yeah, I'll go there. Maybe the best horror film ever made. Interesting. Yeah, the original. I think the remake is actually yeah. really interesting. The, the, the cool. remake I think is really good. But, I, I like Suspiria, but I don't. I would not say it's the best. Right. One of the best horror movies. I mean, it was ever made. one of those for me. It was a major discovery when it happened. It changed my whole like viewpoint of film when I saw it as like a teenager. Like, wow, this is what you can do. And sure, it introduced sure. me single handedly to Italian uh, cinema. Period. Much less horror cinema. You know, I hadn't even seen spaghetti westerns at that point. I'd sure, seen yeah. This and gone like, what the fuck is going on here this is crazy so i've followed argento for a long time amongst many other people have been turned on along the way but uh, argento had a long and interesting career a lot of his most interesting stuff is the stuff that he inspired or worked on with helping other people like, like scripts say, or something like, like that producing Mar- like a lamberto bava's demons right right which he was deeply involved with as well mm-hmm. like, you know great masterpiece of, of horror cinema or it never would have happened without argento put with his hand on his shoulder the whole time as a right. producer. But that being said, Argento had a point in his career that things kind of went not great. And I'm, I don't know what that exact moment is. A lot of it is it called the card player. <laughs> the card player is far from the worst film he's ever made. Sure. No, that, I, would, yeah. that would be Dracula. Oh, uh, wait, didn't he do that just recently? Uh, that was in 2002, his version of Dracula, oh. which actually starred the same star here, Steph- uh, Stefania Ro- Roca, who was also in The Talented Mr. Ripley, for the record. Wait, which one? Wh- who was he? Uh, who was who? Uh, the the guy you just said. No, she, the female star. Oh! Yeah. Oh. Stefania. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. That's a female name. Get it straight. Come on, aren't you Italian? I thought you were a little Italian. I'm very Polish. You had pasta tonight. I'm well, yeah. No, I, okay. Look, I'm yeah. very Polish, and so Italian names uh, 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 confuse me. So <laughs> anyway, this was 2004. It was well after this is the, 2004. It was well after the point that like he was putting out stuff that people were putting at the top of the list of good stuff. Although his previous film, Sleepless. Although mixed response in 2001, I, it's got Max von Sydow. It's not a terrible movie at all. It's well worth it. I heard about that one, yeah. It, it's one of the ones I'm like, okay, 
it's lesser seen, but it's what we're seeing. The card player for a long time has been on my list of like, this is one of the few Argentos I've not seen. And Kino Lorber put this one out. Uh-huh. This is a Kino Lorber heavy. Uh, this is a very episode. Kino Lorber yeah. heavy episode. The, uh, this, can I, I just mean, say? Technically, they're releasing it through Scorpion. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, they, they distribute for Scorpion releasing. Right. But still, I, I get it through Kino. Uh but the, it's got an American stars, many Italian horror films and Giallo films do. Leon Cum, uh, Cunningham, Cunningham. Yeah, he's great. Known from Game of Thrones, of course. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very, you know, it's a very Giallo film. Here, as here's, it were. It's a serial killer who's kidnapping young woman in Rome. Here, you know? Here's the word that you would describe this movie. Dated. I it mean, is. It's kind of dated. It is a. Kind of, it is incredibly dated, and it's also I didn't I didn't fault it for it because I thought it was adorbs. Uh, <laughs> wow. I because there's there's moments is like they're talking about like the internet and chat rooms and video poker online. I'm like, this is hysterical. Like, well, we need to go to the bulletin board because and- I was then trying to think about like how the fuck they would remake this at all. Yeah, and and also how did they think. Because it feels like they were trying to make up of what they thought the internet was in a way. And like, because those. No, it was that. This is not inaccurate. This is pretty much what the internet was at this point. I guess, but like that. You just weren't. How old were you in 2004? I was like, I don't know, four. Yeah. Uh, So I'm just saying, like, it was like, (laughs) this was pretty much the internet at this point. It was primitive. I I understand it was was primitive. It it was the Wild West. uh, But the way that they made it. like elusive and bigger than it was. It was just, it, I don't know the way that you look, you, you look at it now. It's just like, Oh, this is adorable. And it, it, cause it's like watching the net or Johnny mnemonic. Yeah, net, I'm just Johnny like, Numonic, what yeah. the fuck? That's got it so wrong. And and that's the thing with this is like, it's not wrong. It's all based in reality. It's just, it, it's just ridiculous. Weirdly, the best written sci-fi is the stuff that actually is now happening. Now I always go like, you go back and read some of the early William Gibson and you're like, wow, this is actually what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like, uh, uh, snow crash i was about to say snow crash it's like holy shit we're about to enter snow crash we're yeah. about to start snow crash right I, now we're not too far away already yeah, the metaverse and all yeah, that shit exactly anyway this film centers around a serial killer called who calls himself the card player and he's kidnapping young women in rome uh he contacts the police with a webcam setup where he's like he, that you can see the woman on the camera and like oh we're gonna play internet poker and if you guys can't beat me in poker with a certain amount of rounds, then I kill the woman. And if you beat me, I'll let her go, which, you know, problem. Right. And so the main <laughs> cop is like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Meanwhile, American cop or I'm sorry, British cop, Liam Cunningham comes in or I guess Irish. I don't know where he's from. Fuck. He's Ireland. from Ireland. And, and goes like, what are you fucking doing? I'm going to drink all this whiskey. Yeah, That's racist. What? He he does drink whiskey. He does. He's still. drinking out of flask the entire time and he's drunk. Are you Irish? I just told you. Drink you, like was... eight, you drink like eight whiskeys tonight. Yeah, because I'm trying to feed, Irish. feed the Polish. Oh, I mean. It would be vodka if that was the case. Yeah. Just, anyway, so he like kind of comes in to help and there's a romantic thing, even though no one else likes him in the station. They're all like, oh, fuck this arrogant prick from the outside. And she's like, mm, what's going on, arrogant prick? It, feel, from the it feels very Gambit-ish where it's uh, like they, 
It's like, why? Well, because the, like they're both attractive. Is that what hot people do? Chris, <laughs> let me ask you this question. As a hot person. As a hot person. Yeah. Do, do, do just hot people look at you like, oh, well, we're going to have to fuck. Yeah, all the time. What the fuck? You have no choice. It's like a hot person arrangement. There's no choice? Yeah, you're just like... Shit, they pull out their card and they're like, I'm I'm playing it here. You literally put the card down on the table, you got the like whole like, hey, I paid my dues. Yeah. Blowjob. Man, I would love to have no choice. Well, I I shouldn't have told you this much. <laughs> I don't have to kill you. <laughs> anyway, you know the, the secrets of the hot people. Yeah, now I don't know what to tell you. Like <laughs> You want to see the hot people card? <laughs> yeah. Neither one of us is safe now. <laughs> But not from this serial killer who is murdering people specifically because he likes playing poker. It's a mystery giallo, as many of these type of things are. Which is not that mysterious in the end. It's not ultimately that mysterious. It's not that big of a surprise when the the end happens. Although, I'll say there's a lot of stuff about this I genuinely did like. There's moments that are pretty fucking cool. There's I thought the actual ending ending was like, that was kind of crazy and neat. It's like... It's- it's neat. It's just still in the. Okay, this is going to sound real dumb. In the most. Well, sub- I met you, so it's okay. <laughs> in the most, you're 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 not a hot person, so I get it. Uh, what? We just established that I was. A no, hot no, person. you're talking to me. If I thought, oh, okay. okay, God damn it. Yeah. Sorry, I'm so used to talking down to non hot people. Okay, so. I get it. I get it. In the most subdued, over the top way. That's the dumb thing I'm saying. The ending is it works. In a way, the mm. the the whole train thing. Yeah, it's cool. I, I like it. I, I like, like it enough. I liked it too. But um, it's still uh, dumb. <laughs> it's I just, mean, the biggest problem is that this, even at, the, at this point, this genre had, and this version of this genre had gotten very dated. It's been done so many times before. Yeah. Even with Argento stylistics, it there's not a lot added new here to be impressive. I mean, like, like, like of traditional Giallo, his best film. And I know everyone's going to say deep red. It is not. It's Tenebrae. Tenebrae is Tenebrae, a yeah. fucking masterpiece. What he does with it is incredible. It's groundbreaking. It's, it, it's really amazing. This just feels like this sort of tired retread of it all. Like every, all the stuff we've done, all this stuff. Well, it seems it. like he's been trying to get with, it, it seems like he's trying to do the net, like trying to get with the times. Yeah. To and, some, I mean, to some extent, but I mean, well, to just, some extent, he's, it's all about the fucking, like, oh, it, he's, he's on the internet. He has just, a webcam. It's just a, like, that's like the MacGuffin, you know? I, I don't know. Like, it seems like a comment on all that. Cause like the first scene, you see all the characters at their computers. They're all like chatting online. They're like, I just got another video. And like, and like, or got, I got an email. And, uh, they're all like freaking out. Like, no, what the hell to fucking do? Like the killer, he's, he's not the Zodiac, but he's the card player. Cause it's basically the Zodiac. I, and I, I mean, in the problem, basically that like, it's an okay setup, but they don't do a lot with it. There's nothing wrong with the setup. I don't. I, I think the the it's it's interesting. Uh, it's just a lot of the stuff. I think it's. I think the biggest deal is is that what I've always kind. I don't know. I, you, you're going to be like you shut the fuck up right now. <laughs> um, I've always thought his stuff was kind of shoddy and uh, and like at least newer stuff. And this is like really shoddy. And um, and like the music is bonkers bad. Uh, yeah, which is weird because Argento is known specifically for having great scores. Yeah, this and, and is 
crazy bad. You know, this is originally uh, considered to be a sequel to the Stendhal syndrome when they first conceived. Of I it was reading his, about that. Well, it's the daughter, same character, isn't it? For, yeah. For his daughter, Asia Argento. Yeah. Yeah. That role in that, which I really like the Stendhal syndrome. I haven't seen I, it. I would argue that's maybe the last truly, really good Dario Argento. Mm-hmm. Film. Um, and, and it, by that, I don't want you to get confused and think it's as good as deep red Suspiria or Tenebrae or phenomena or any of that. It's like, no, it's not as good as those are. films, but you should <laughs> someday. I'll make you watch all of them. Oh, no. <laughs> but this is just kind of by the numbers. It feels like a very standard, like, we just shit this out movie. And there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I like the the set pieces. I'm like, there's cool stuff in it. I like Liam Cunningham in it. Uh, there's a sequence with him and specifically violent-wise that's like, wow, that was brutal. Um, yeah, I mean, they, de- de- they definitely take some chances for some of the characters. I just think that the the, like very end of the movie it just totally shits the bed and i didn't feel that way the, like the very very end oh with the little i mean it's almost a postscript but you know yeah and i'm just like what like what um, the fuck is that supposed to mean i don't know uh there are a lot of bonus features here uh as well with including a watch me when i kill 17 minute interview with Dario Argento talking about this taking risks interview with the screen uh, screenwriter Franco Farini uh, chip in a chair for 12 minutes interview with the set designer who does extra features of the interview with the set designers that's weird like with Suspiria I would watch that yeah I mean, here I'm like really? here it's just like you mean the video poker room like what the fuck and then an eight and a half minute interview game over with uh, actress Fiora Argento uh, who plays one of the kidnap vi- uh, victims uh, her father is Dario so yeah. you know he's a he's a regular Francis for Coppola you know in some ways he kind of is you know what that's you can also a, shut the fuck up that's not a that's not an unfair comparison like, I know I know it's just he's like Bobo Francis for Coppola all right so we're gonna move on to another Italian giallo <laughs> film that you did not care for at all but I consider to be a massive classic in the genre wow which is 1977's Shock, which our Arrow is putting out, uh, I must say, so. I'm shocked that you really is that the shock. joke? Is that the joke you've chosen? No, I'm here. I got a couple others. You want to think? You want to think about this for a second? This was not electrifying as I thought it was going to be. The way that you told me it's about not, it, no electric stuff in here. Um, this was. Um, Should I wait? Should I just pause? Hold on here? one second. I, I got a Should couple. Stop. Hold on. Hold on. I'm, I'll just I'm do trying the, to think. The what I'm actually doing is uh is uh wasting a lot of time like this movie did. No, I, I found this deeply enjoyable. This is directed by Mario Bava, who is one of the legends of Giallo. One might even argue he invented Giallo. I was looking at his uh filmography and I thought he was uh look, I'm not gonna say that I think that all Italian people are the same, uh-huh. but I thought he was the guy who did demons and no, his son, his son. Yeah. yeah. And so this guy is like a legendary DP and, and director as well. Uh, and I, mean, I was like, best known for being a director. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but like, I was like, holy shit, he's done a lot of like older stuff too. And so this one is kind of like later in his career. It's like one of the last ones, well, the things that he did, right? Technically it's the last film he directed, although released later was a film called rabid dogs that he did that I've not seen. Mm. So I can't comment on, but this was kind of an excuse for him to take his son who was doing, uh, Lamberto who was doing sort of like, you know, he was working in film already, but he was doing stuff that wasn't like 
leading towards directing and going, I'll do this only if you co-direct it with me. Like if you're a first assistant director, which essentially. Oh, really? Yeah. It was sort of like, I want you to like, he realized he was getting much older and he was like, I want you to, you know, take my place. Yeah. And the weird thing about this is that when you really, and the extras get into this at depth in depth, which I didn't know about that Mario Bava's whole career was about stuff out of time. Like his whole career was about either it was taking place in the past or it was stuff that was deeply affected by stuff in the past. And I mean like distant past, like hundreds of years beforehand. Right. Like his stuff is all period pieces or, or where it's modern people who are haunted by stuff from hundreds of years in the past. This was a wild exception for his career that it was a very modern day film. Right, right. He had never made anything. But it still like had that before. that uh that idea of being haunted by the yeah, past. But here the past is like 10 years before. Yeah, yeah. Uh the, the story here follows a, a legend in the this film, Daria Nicolodi, who was at one point Dario Argento's wife. And some say is the reason Suspiria is as good as it is because she she's the one who co-wrote it, and many people think she just straight out wrote it. Wait, did was she in it though? Yeah, she was the one who got. Uh, she falls through the glass, right? Yeah, I believe that's her. I can't remember. Well, the, the 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 bar uh, the barbed wire. She's like hung by the barbed wire. Was that her? I, I think that's her. I can't remember. I know she's in it. I can't remember what because I was like I was like why the fuck do I know her? But she was in uh, Deep Red Inferno. Tenebrae, Phenomena, and Opera. No, she was not in Suspiria. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, there was a woman who she looked almost in, exactly uh, like the her. The Mother of Tears, which is the third film in the Suspiria trilogy, mm-hmm. which I still have not seen. I don't know what that is. No, I know, I know. what that is. Anyway, point is, this was ultimately the last film by him. He did a modern day film, a very modern film, where it's she plays a person who's like previously would been, had been married to a rich guy. He had died out at sea. Her new husband is like, come on, we've got this great fucking house and you won't like, a this is like, well, it's their old house. He used to live yeah, in the old house. She used to live in, but it's this great fucking house right by the sea. We need and he's a great guy. He's a pilot. Yeah. The, she has a son from her previous husband. Uh, and they move there right off the bat. It's like, this place is haunted as fuck. <laughs> like so haunted. It's, it's creepy. There's like, Weird stuff that they find in the couches, like a huge sculpture of a hand that does. I when okay, th- this, clearly did not watch the bonus features because that two of them feature ex- almost exclusively about how important that hand is. Oh, really? <laughs> I honestly thought it was like the hand gesture for your town's like nice. <laughs> I that's because it looks like it's doing that, and uh, or it's like the you know the game when you're like, oh, did you see the hole in the, like the hand, and like you have to punch someone. It was like. Oh, someone's gonna hurt with that hand. Uh, <laughs> this is this is how dumpy American I am. Well, that's all right. I like dumpy Americans. Dumpy Americans watching Italian films. Is that the who did that? Was that Bowie? That was Bowie. Yeah, I yeah. love that song. Anyway, uh, so it's this sort of not even you say slow burn. I didn't think it was a slow burn at all. I was like, wow, things are starting to move immediately from a very sort of like 
1970s ghost story type of way. In fact, I think it's faster moving by far than a lot of 70s ghost movies where they're going like, oh shit, more and more shit's happening. And then it's like, maybe the kid is getting possessed by the father and she's having hallucinations about a sort of like, you know, zombified version of the father that's a ghost appearing. Like the hand decayed, like fondling hand. I found this really incredible i think this movie's absolutely incredible wow really yeah i do i think this movie's incredible it you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of the haunting and where it is the good one the the good one the 1997 one uh and uh wait was it 2000 (laughs) when owen wilson gets his head chopped off no you mean the 60s one there was a 60s one you didn't know that the haunting was a remake it was a remake I don't know if you're kidding with me or not. That's how good of an actor I am. <laughs> oh, no! Oh, snap! Now, it, it did remind me of, like, the slow burn of both, uh, uh, and, uh, of the hauntings, and, like, it, but what I, I did enjoy about the movie is that when it finally kicked in the gear, eh, towards the end, like the last third, which is a lot longer than I was expecting it to be, I thought it was gonna be like, all right, here it is, done. And it keeps on going because there's like a couple of other twists that happen towards the end of the film that I was like, okay, it's, it's one of the few films where I, I w I was, re- I was kind of bored through most of it. And then the end really got me. And I don't know why I'm comparing it to this, but it was one of the few films I can always remember that like dirty, pretty things. Remember that movie? Like I can back in 2004. Faintly. Yeah. With Audrey tattoo is like a whole, like a, a, uh, uh, what is it like? Uh, stealing uh, kidneys and stuff like that. Like, uh, I, I don't remember even that much. I like the Audrey tattoo. She was an anomaly. That's all I want to think about. Well, it, so. it was like the whole movie was boring as fuck, and then in the end, it was like, oh, you got me. And this, this I was is like, one of those that you this is one of those. Was like, okay, I I liked it really overall. I didn't think it was like amazing or I, anything. I think this is an underrated masterpiece. Really, yeah, wow. I genuinely do. I think there's so much brilliance here. I think it's so creepy. I think there's so many elements here that are just, and this is the third time I've seen it. I saw it like I, it was one of those, like I discovered in a movie, a movie rental store. Like, what is this? I don't know. I'll rent it in like the nineties. It was like, cool. That was neat. Then found a used copy and went like, Oh, I'm going to own that. Watched it again. Now watching it again, like this has been 15 years since I've seen this probably. Well, I mean, I'm assuming went, as like, a much, much old, much older man that you are, like it would yeah. seem like, wow, this is thrilling stuff right here. I, I really genuinely think this is one of the great Italian uh, ghost story movies. I, okay. I, I have to speak on ignorance here because I, I don't know for sure because I haven't seen that many, but I, I didn't. I I know I've been making fun of it. I didn't hate it by any means. I think it's like good. Were you checking your phone the whole time? No, no, no. Because I really, I I Were wanted you. No, I was not. Because I really wanted to like figure out what the fuck was happening. <laughs> but then again, like it's it's kind of you can't t- blame me for asking. No, no, but it, it's kind of I'm crushing my eyes like yeah, fuck like, maybe oh. I did. <laughs> but you're like I don't know what's going on at Wordle. <laughs> <laughs> that's how old also i i'm not on wordle i don't even know what the fuck Let's it is not even talk about i have no idea no, what don't it even is. go into wordle Let's is that too dated that. yes too dated just like new york times the card player no, okay fine but we're talking about shock look here's the thing there's some um, incredible 
innovative experience experience stuff here that I was like, I remember even seeing it initially going like, God damn. And it's all practical. There was no CG at this time. Yeah, it was all practical. There's some stuff. There's a shot they do where like, She's basically kind of being made love to by her dead husband's ghost. Where they that was cool. Strapped her to a bed, and it's just a single shot of her head, and they're slowly rotating the bed up, you know, upside down and around. And so you see her hair not rapidly moving, but just enough that it's sort of like it's swinging around. Gravity, yeah, and it's incredible. It's like wow, what an incredible shot that is. But my favorite is this shot that you, if you see the trailer for this, you've seen it where like her, she's like reaching across the room, her, her, her young son running towards her, like across the hallway. And he comes up and the last second, her dead husband, the guy playing her, her dead husband pops up into the frame right as he goes in there. It's perfectly timed, perfectly shot and genuinely scary as fuck. That's when the movie was getting me. I was like, okay, now we're kicking into high gear. Like, this is really cool and fun. It's a great shot. Because, like, the last stuff, like that shot right there, I... It, it was reminding me of last night in Soho and uh, last night in Soho, you can kind of see a little bit more like, okay, that's when she went out of frame when the whole dance sequence, sure, sure. that right there. I was like, I have no idea how they did that. Mm. Like it is the quickest editing I've ever seen. It is brilliantly done. Uh, it, you're not on the review for that one, but, um, which one? The last night in Soho. You know what? Gang? I was, M- what? I was on that review last no, night in Soho. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. Were you? Were you? I saw it with you. No, no, no. I mean the 4K release. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Yeah. Uh, But there is extensive coverage. Oh, of that? Of that sequence. Oh, I would love to watch that. It's really good. Anyway. That might be a special feature that I actually watched. Because the audio commentary with Tim Lucas, A Ghost in the House, a 30-minute newly filmed interview with Lamberto Bava, who is still alive as opposed to his father. Jesus Uh, Christ, how old is he? uh, Probably pretty old. Uh, via del orologio 33 you got it right with was a new video interview with the co-writer dardando secchetti uh (laughs) the devil pulls some strings for 20 minutes and 45 seconds which is a visual essay by alexandra heller nicholas it goes into a lot of the plot points related to puppetry i thought it was about all the strings you see when pulling stuff for (sighs) off camera Shock, horror, with exclamation points, the stylistic diversity of Mario Bava, 51 minute and 46 second enjoyable overview, as one site put it, of Bava's work. Uh, The most atrocious torture, four minutes interview with a critic, Alberto Farina, who talks about the wonderful Daria Nicolodi, who this may be the best acting she ever did. This is a she's really good tremendous performance by her. Wouldn't you love to see uh, Tony Collette in a remake of this? I would watch Tony Collette in a remake of this. Uh, Tony Collette has always reminded me of uh, Daria Nicolotti. So we're going to finish this out with our last film, which is Escape from Mogadishu. This is one of those ones that like I know was on no one's radar, but it was funny. Like it was submitted to our local you know, Austin film critics crew is like, this was, uh, this is the only Korean film we're sending you this year to watch. Like, this is the one we want you to take very, very seriously. And I was like, what is this exactly? That's like the title is, is 
like not really gripping per se, but it was uh, it was selected as a South Korean entry for the best international feature film of the 94th Academy Awards, but it was not nominated. Oh, it wasn't nominated? No. It won six awards at uh, at the 30th uh, Buil Film Awards and the Blue Dragon Film Awards, including Best Film and multiple other things. It has won 21 awards overall. And I'll tell you, I didn't, know, I didn't know any of this going into it. Uh, I was like, okay, it, I like Korean cinema a lot yeah. right now. I think it's fucking about hot as shit. It's right? great. It's and really good. Just keep putting out amazing stuff. And right now they're dominating television even, really. You know, I mean, like one thing after a squid game. Oh, squid game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, all of us are dead. You know, things like that. I haven't that. seen that yet. I it's need good. to check it out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they just keep putting out great stuff across the board. They've been doing that for a very long time. For those of us who are in film festivals, we're like, we saw like so many great movies over the years. We're like, will you guys please start watching Korean cinema? It's so amazing. Yeah. Because uh, well, <laughs> I feel like I've been watching Korean cinema for a long time. And I don't think I've even like scratched the surface really. I think I've only seen like the really, really good stuff. Like when I saw, I saw the devil, I was like, oh, I know what I'm fucking Dude, talking about here. Now that film is one of the greatest movies of all time. It's incredible. Oh yeah. Like if you're one of those people who's like, I love seven so much. Then Seven looks like fucking Sesame Street. I don't. Ag- I don't agree with that. But also, I would just meaning say, like how uh, intense I'm I just saw the devil like, is. If you like that type of film? Yeah. Then you want to see? I want. I saw the devil. Yeah. Right. It, it so goes to the places that you want it. You want it seven to and go just, to sometimes. It's just as well made. Oh, it's just incredible. as well incredible. Yeah. Anyway. This film, though, is not like that at all. No. <laughs> no. No. And this lo- is a film that feels like. Uh, what was that? Hotel Rwanda or something. That, 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 exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, I, I feel like in a way, not to diminish the production company, the marketing or anything like that at all, but it feels like it's marketing it incorrectly because on the back of the, uh, uh, the Blu-ray, it says one of the best action films of the summer. It's not an action film. It's not an action film. And it feels like a lot more of a, uh, a, <laughs> A, a like a realistic thriller to where it it's almost like uh i think i was texting you when i was watching this like jesus christ am i watching like the uh korean uh children of the uh, children of men or something like that like it's because it's really intense yeah because it's all based on an actual thing that happened which yeah. i had no idea yeah, set during the somali civil civil war where north korea and south korea both had embassies there and they were trying to get this into country, the UN, this country to give them like basically a red stamp. It's like a, like a sponsorship. Just like, yes, we think that you should yeah. be in the UN. And it was one of those, like it wasn't even considered to be an important one of those places to do it, but it was like, yeah, but they're fighting for it. And at this point they're like very, like they don't like each other. South and North Korea. It's, right. It's like communism versus capitalism in the fifties. It's like constant right. suspicion. It's like, I mean, it's still that way, but you know, it's what it is. And then the Somali Civil War breaks out, and it's just total fucking anarchy and chaos everywhere. And nobody gives a fuck if you're an ambassador. They do not give a shit. They're going to shoot at you. And it ends up with these two people, these two groups having to work together just to survive to get out of this fucking country. Like mortal enemies having to work together. Actually happened. And it's. (laughs) I have to say, like I know you said, a shock was incredible. 
this movie is kind of incredible. It's amazing, yeah. It's really, really good. And number five in the bo- worldwide box office in August 2021. God damn. Like the, the actors in this, like that's what's so weird is that this movie is so under the radar until you send it to me. I was like, I have no idea what the fuck this yeah. is. And I turned it on. I was like immediately hooked. Gripping. Yeah. It's so gripping. And it's a really interesting uh, idea that I did not really know about. What I love about some movies where they can lean towards action because there is action in the movie, but like, it's more of, again, realistic. It was like, holy shit, that car blew up yeah. and, uh, or like those kids are going to shoot at us, but we don't know. Yeah. And, uh, which is one of the most tense scenes I've seen in years. Uh, but it actually at the same time was teaching me something that I did not know happened in history, which is really, yeah. me either. It, it was, um, it was really humiliating in a lot of ways to understand that, these two countries didn't have like a like have a a, a seat at the table. No, and I I didn't realize well, I mean, that thing. They were a unified Korea before that certain point, right? And then they split, and South Korea wanted to declare their independence. And right, like, we are our own country, and they needed the UN to recognize them. And it was like the the depths that they were going for, or like or the the. The fact that we're going to Somalia to like try to like, we're, this is the country that's going to give us the red stamp. Vote. <laughs> yeah, just the, the other vote. It was like, wow, like the, the links they were going to, to, to like to try to get this done. And then through happenstance, this, the Somalian uh, civil war happens. It's like, Jesus Christ, this is crazy. And it gets. I mean, it's total chaos. This oh, isn't yeah. like a bunch of political discussions. This is like very quickly. Oh shit, it's going on. Like, Which <laughs> at the same time though, there is fantastic scenes between the the head ambassadors for North and South Korea yeah. where they're having to discuss the the ideas of working together, what that looks like, how do they do that, and the and then if they survive, what does that mean? Yeah. It, there's all these really fucking great scenes between that. And even touching moments towards oh, the end. Oh, incredible touching moments. Yeah. And like, yeah, in the very end too, where they, they b- both of these parties, which I think I'm so glad they do it and they did it so well. And it's very, very bittersweet at the very end where they realize on both sides, they're both, they're just humans and it doesn't matter what country you're from, yeah. but they also understand what the optics are and what who's controlling them in the end. Yeah. I think that's it's heartbreaking. There's no triacle at all. Yeah, here, like there's never that point where you're like, oh, we're gonna have this big emotional discussion about it. It's always like people still being professional in what they have to do. Yeah, and still feeling strongly about the way they do politically. Yeah, but having like that moment where you're willing to get past that and have a, like, we need to reach out just enough to go. We're just human beings. ultimately, And then that evolving towards by the end into a sense of realizing that they genuinely like each other. And yet that's as far as it's going to go here. The the end, uh, like uh, we're not spoiling anything, but I'll just say this. The end on the plane yeah. When they like Heartbreaking. when when the the main like the kind of the badass dude from South Korea realize what's going on and what he explains like we have to do it this way. I was like, 
God damn it. Yeah. It's so, it, it's sad. It's, it's uh, wonderful in a, like a really bittersweet way. And like you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I genuinely love this. I, 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 I'm actually, I'm actually pretty, uh, sad that it, it didn't get, um, more attention and definitely at the yeah. Academy Awards. Like this is definitely up there. It's one of the best movies of, I guess, 2021. It, I consider it straight up a must see for 2021. It, it is a really genuinely great film. Mm-hmm. It's a real shame. I don't actually know offhand what the Korean pick was, uh, ultimately, mm-hmm. but anyway, uh, this was it drive my car. No, that's Japanese, which is also, amazing i have not seen it absolutely amazing totally different i'll see it if you force me on digital noise well if they sent it to me i'm asking for it so anyway uh, there's uh three production uh documentary epks like literally like two minutes there's a making of car chase sequence here that's like under a minute oh yeah and the car chases were like it's really good john frankenheimer ronin shit really good yeah and then a bunch of trailers so there's not a lot extra here but this is a deeply solid film that you should see but that brings us to the end of the show and i'm curious what do you think the pick of the week is and you remember pick of the week has to be the whole consideration not just which movie you like the best oh god damn it i forgot about i'm gonna go with the hard day's night myself but oh um i think hard day's night with like the whole production and everything like it's such a great movie the the package itself yeah such a great package it's got so many great new extras (laughs) it's such a great upgrade but that being said like there's a lot of stuff here that are like new like stuff a lot of people haven't seen that still have like Gambit has and Breaking In both have solid extras and that's there. the thing and, is like I'm I'm out of and everything. <clears throat> I mean the the extras and shock are extras guess, are really good. Yeah, they're they're, they're yeah. Good. But God damn it. Um so good. That's my secret pick of the week. Oh, gross. Uh, now you know what the real pick of the week is. You know what? Okay. How about this? How about this? Moving forward, how about we do this? We know we'll pick the pick of the week because it's just like the package and everything that comes with the movie itself other, it is. I always let the other person pick the pick of the week unless I've been totally bribed by a movie studio for a great package, in which case I put my foot you've down. You've been constantly choosing pick of the week. Uh, what? When have I ever picked the pick of the week? You've always picked it. Um, mm. But I... Okay. Objectively, I guess I would say Hard Day's Night. Yeah. But I kind of love Breaking In. Breaking In is great. I kind of love Breaking In. I, I, I was I was completely floored by like just a, a total like never un- knowing this movie ever existed kind of thing. Trash in the can stuff. A tremendous underseen John Sayles film. Yeah. If you're like one of those people <clears throat> who are like, oh, I've, every John Sayles film I've seen, I've really loved. Yeah. This is one of those ones you didn't even know existed that mm-hmm. you're really gonna love. Yeah. And like I, Alligator. <sighs> you fucking going on about Alligator. It's so good. So good. They just put out a new release of it that they didn't send me. I'm kind of pissed off about that. Oh, uh, but they sent you Breaking In instead. Yeah. But I'm happy about that. <laughs> I actually have a, a halfway decent Blu-ray copy of Alligator anyway. So I'm like, but not yeah, the Criterion yet. Uh, Criterion did not put that out. Oh, they should. Yeah, they should. If Criterion finally started putting out stuff that we just all know and love, <laughs> it's like, why the fuck not? Why not? That'd I'm, be great. I want to put a hard day's night on the actual page. Oh. You, know, you know, the secret picks are shock and breaking in. Yeah, you got to listen to the show yeah. to know what really we wanted. But like, we got to do it for the fans, which is the production company. Fucking fans. <laughs> fucking fans. 
You fucking this nerds. job would be so great without all the people who listen to it. Goddamn people <laughs> listen to this bullshit. And like, oh, the Beatles? I thought they were overrated, but they, I guess they are great. Hey, Beattle. The Beattle. <laughs> the fifth Beattle. Yeah. The same guy directed Help, which I'm going to fully admit I actually like Help as a movie a little bit. Better. You know what? I have to fully admit, never seen it. It's kind of fun. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because I grew up with the monkeys and I saw all the monkey stuff first, which is more of a ripoff of Help. So, like, when I finally saw Help, I was like, oh, it's like the monkeys. You know what? I have to admit, I don't know what the monkeys are. Oh, my God. <laughs> Press stop so I can murder you off ca- off audio. 